0: We find ourselves today in one of my favorite letters. It's the letter of Paul to his church in Philippi. And he's speaking some true words that every church needs to hear. So I'm going to invite you to listen with open hearts, open minds, and open ears. Hear these words. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Will be with you. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Ever equipping God as. I speak may you increase. And I decrease. May the words you have given me. For this message be seeds that rest. In our hearts. That we might bear fruit for you. Here on earth. Might be bold and courageous and. Speaking what it is you've given me to speak. And may we as your people have ears that hear. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now I'm going to ask you a question. When the alarm went off this morning, did you rejoice? Did you say, yes, I get to get up and go to church today. Or did you say, "Eh, snooze, I don't know if I want to go listen to Barry today. I don't know if I want to drive to church. I don't know if I want to be around those people. I love this text because it speaks the heart of Paul loving his church from afar. Let's set the stage of where he wrote this from. Do you know where he was when he wrote this letter? He was in prison. He was in chains. And he's saying one message to his church. Rejoice. A man who is sweating, a man who is, I'm sure, under some kind of torture, who's locked up in chains, a man who is experiencing life at its deepest, darkest, and ugliest moments, experiencing humanity's care as bad as it can get. And he has one message for his church. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice with one another always. And what happens when you rejoice? The peace of God, that peace of God fills you. I don't know about you, but I don't always rejoice. I grew up in a family with five kids, three older sisters and a twin brother. So I've never been alone since I was conceived in the womb. When God knit me together, he knit another one right next to me. And we started from day one of our conception and we lived our life together. And have any of you heard of the term sibling rivalry? You have that in your family? You ever pick on your brothers or your sisters? You ever judge your brothers and sisters? You ever, you ever say things about your brothers and sisters? You ever say names? We had some family names that we would call each other and it was nothing about love. It was nothing about uplifting one another. Sibling rivalry is what just tears down brothers and sisters right who did Paul address us as today of course it was the ancient time so he couldn't talk to you ladies but if we were translating it today it would say my brothers and sisters quit your sibling rivalry get along with each other and he calls two women I'm gonna be careful how I tread here he calls two women out in the church Did you know that once in a while women in the church don't get along? Ah, we're the church, right? Everybody gets along. But once in a while in a church, there are women that don't get along. And then there are men that don't get along because their women aren't getting along. And then it starts to spread because, you know, the women's friends and the men's friends. I'm not blaming it all on you women. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But I am blaming it on us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We, as the family of God, exhibit sibling rivalry rivalry to one another. Did you know that? Because you know why? It's the same thing my brother and I suffered from. I'm going to tell you that when, when my father married my mother and she had the two girls. We adopted one later in life. That's how we got three sisters. But she had the two girls by birth. My grandfather, my paternal grandfather, didn't have a whole lot to do with her. He would hardly speak to my mother because he believed that she should produce somebody to carry on the loving name. He was a patriarchal man, and he believed there should be somebody to carry on our name. It was the times. It was what he was raised in. It was nothing against my grandfather. It's just how he viewed things. But then, the twins were born, and they were both boys. Well, we just became the light of his eyes and she became the queen of all the world in his eyes. But do you know what happened? After years of counseling, I finally discovered my brother and I struggled to be the favored son. They called it the Jacob and Esau complex. And we grew up all of our lives. He was about 5'10", 175 pounds. I'm 6'4", 240 pounds. He was a straight-A, honor society kind of student. I went to school because I love social life. right? He liked fast cars and high flaunting women. I liked pickup trucks and country girls. We didn't have a whole lot in common. They said he wasn't an athlete, but he was an athlete. They gave me the credit for athletics. They gave him the credit for academics. And we always got along, but there was always this tension in our relationship. Just like in the church, when you, when you sit on the pew, I know you kind of look around. See who's here today and who's got on what and how they're doing and if they're really doing all right. Well, if you heard what you heard down on the square about them, is really true even on Sunday morning. Or the way you experienced them in their business is still the same on Sunday morning. Or maybe they're just covering things up and, and you start to talk about one another. You know, I can remember Thomas and my brother, we lived in a three-story house, and our bedrooms were upstairs, it had a basement, that's why it was three stories. And we fought all the way down the stairs, down the long hallway, through the living room, across the driveway, across the street, and into the neighbor's yard. We loved each other, but we struggled with each other all our lives. You know, Paul knows that's true. Paul knows that as believers in Christ, we're selfish. We're selfish individuals in our lives and he wants nothing more for us than to focus on the christ not to focus on the church not to focus on who has what role or who has what power or what's going on in our lives he wants us to focus on the christ how many of you as brothers and sisters look at your brother your sibling as a creation from god in christ not as little brother not as older sister not in all those little things those little names you call each other you know, I'm not telling you what they call me in my family. I'm not going to tell you that we call my brother Dingle Dingy Dorf. You know, those aren't, those aren't terms of endearment. But we always, he and I, we always picked on each other. And we always struggled with each other. We had great days wrestling on the trampoline. It wasn't WWF back then, it was something else. And, and we always, you know, we imitated the wrestlers and we wrestled and we played together. But there was an underlying pressure there about who was the favored son. Who was dad's favorite? Who was the favored son? Who was the one that was going to carry on the loving name? It's the same thing among us. Paul's trying to say to his crowd, you're all loved by God. And the more that you love one another and that you can walk with one another, the better you can be as community. If we lift one another up, if we'll look at what's true, what's lovely, I love that he says that word. How many of you look at one another and you see what's lovely in one another? I mean, some stranger walks up on the street. What do you see? Do you see lovely? Or do you go, oh, how is this going to affect me? God doesn't say that. God says lovely. You're true. You're noble. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. But we as human beings in our own judgmental mind, we go, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's do it my way. Let's build this relationship on my terms. Let's focus this ministry the way I want to do it. Let's don't listen to God because I've been in this church since I was 13 years old, right? I'm on the cradle roll of this church. Y'all listen to me. I mean, I've heard all those things. I could tell you lots of stories about the, the community of faith and how we struggle to get along as brothers and sisters in Christ, especially in the church. But what Paul's calling us to do today is to see the beauty in one another, to focus on what is right, What is lovely? What is noble? And here he says this word. We don't even use this word anymore. What is pure? Pure. What is pure? Now, I'm going to tell you, my brother was a sports fanatic, and his knowledge of basketball was pure. You could ask him any question. I called him the Howard Cosell of basketball. Younger generations, Howard Cosell was a, a sports commentator that knew everything. Howard Cosell, I loved that guy. Howard Cosell was amazing. And my brother could recite just fact after fact after fact. You'd name a player, he'd tell you the stats. But we still struggled. We still struggled. We struggled when it came to girlfriends. We struggled when it came to cars to drive. We struggled about territory in the house. We struggled when we got older. He married a girl that looked just like my wife. We struggled. Right? He went into practice with my dad. We struggled. And we struggled and we struggled to figure out how to have a relationship. And one time we finally got so frustrated with one another. We do this church. We got so frustrated with one another, we quit speaking to one another. You know why there's a center aisle in the church? It's supposed to be to usher in the light of Christ. But it divides the community of faith. Because there's some people that sit on this side of the church that used to sit on that side of the church but so-and-so sits on that side of the church, so we're going to sit on this side of the church. It's the same way in society. Some people belong on this side of the street, and some people belong on that side of the street. It's not what God said. God said, I created you as brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're to love one another. We're in our adulthood. My brother's practicing with my father. I'm going into ministry as a youth minister, and we're not speaking. We're not speaking. Twins. Twins out of the same womb, out of the same mother. I'm 45 minutes ahead. I had him packed up in there. They weren't ever going to get him out. 45 minutes later, this little blue baby, and they spanked his rear end, and he came to life. I've been mad at that doctor ever since. 30 years old, and we don't get along. 30 years old, we don't like each other. We don't want to be around each other. We're certainly not going to call each other. And I don't know what happened. The peace of God. The peace of God came into our lives. And I told my wife one day, I said, you know what, I'm tired of this with my brother. His name was Blair. I'm tired of this with Blair. I just moved into a... Senior minister position, from the youth minister position, and it's a, believe me, it's a giant step. And I thought, I got to play better golf, right? Senior minister's got to go play golf with the old guys and all that stuff. And I could play golf, and I had some old golf clubs, but my brother's passion, my brother's passion of his whole life, golf. He carried a 32 handicap, but he acted like he carried a scratch. He was a scratch golfer. And he played in tournaments, and he won because he had such a high handicap. He knew all the golfers. He knew all the stats, just like he did with basketball. So I picked up the phone and I called him, and he answered my phone. And I said, hey, Blair. He said, hey, Bubba. I said, man, I've just taken this new senior minister position, and I need some new golf clubs. I really didn't. But it crossed a bridge. All of a sudden, he and I found a common ground. Man, it was back before Amazon. I was getting email after email after email after email about golf clubs that I needed. The perfect set for you. This this set's perfect for you. Buy it. No, this set's perfect for you. He had all these things stretched out. And eventually, I bought a set of clubs. And eventually, our relationship began to grow. Now, we still struggled with each other. And we argued with each other because we didn't always focus on what was right. We didn't always focus on who Jesus was in our life. We actually even shared a youth retreat one time and he and I got in an argument at a youth retreat as grown adults you ever do that then we formed the loving brothers tournament we would go to he had moved to austin and we would go to whose over town he he would either come to my panhandle town or i would go down to his his town in austin and we would play three rounds of golf Two out of three won. I am the only champion. I am the only champion. Every time I won. Every time I won that tournament. Two out of three, four years in a row, crowned me the champion. And I loitered it over his head until it was our fifth year. And you see, God calls us to go to extra steps to mend relationships. I want you to think about something right now. When I talk about somebody who doesn't get along, you Odeo and Syntyche, Syntyche did not get along. Who comes to your mind? Who comes to mind? There's somebody in your life you don't get along with. And it's because you're jealous of who they are or you're envious of who they are or they've treated you wrong and you don't want to forgive them. I was jealous of who my brother was. I didn't want him to be the favored one. I was the champion in that golf tournament. He wasn't ever going to win. But he loved golf enough that I was willing to walk on those terms to at least try to salvage our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. As twin brothers born in the same name, that God created us together, that there didn't need to be a separation. There didn't need to be a favored son. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? There doesn't need to be a favored child among Christ. Jesus was the child, the one who went to the cross for us. It was the fifth year we played the tournament. We were playing at Avery Ranch in Austin, Texas, the 15th hole. It's a 525-yard par 5. There's a creek three-quarters of the way down the fairway. I stood on the tee box, and I crushed it. I mean, I crushed it. And it just went. And my brother said something that I can't say in this sanctuary. Holy and we got down to my shot, and I said, Blair, how far am I? He said, I don't know. I've never been this far. <laughs> I said, well, how far is it to the flag? He said, I don't know. It's about 200 and something yards. He said, take your three iron out and hit it. Take your three iron out and hit it. And I said, I don't have a three iron. The clubs you told me to get start at four iron. I don't have a three iron. I have a three wood and a driver. Three woods gonna be way too much. Driver's certainly gonna be way too much. Four iron's not gonna get it there. So he goes to his bag and he pulls out a three iron. Now, granted, I'm six foot four, 240 pounds at that time, and strong and in shape. He's 5'10, 175. I hit extra stiff shaft golf clubs. He hits regular flex golf clubs. That means the shaft goes like this, and I can take it and I can go like this, and the shaft goes. So he said, you're going to have to hit my three-iron. I said, what? He said, you're going to have to hit my three-iron. I said, okay. He said, you're going to have to swing slow. I said, okay. He said, you're going to have to really swing slow. I said, okay. I mean, we almost had it right there, right in the fairway. I said, okay. So I swung the club, practicing. And I hear this voice behind me, slower, slower. I mean, it feels like I'm not even moving that club. And he says, okay, that's it. Now go hit that ball, and you want to aim to the right of the flag, and that way your ball will bounce to the left. Put it on the right side of the green. So I kind of line up, and he says, you're pointing to the left. Really? So I line up again, he said, yep, there you go. And I draw back as slow as I can. And I hit that ball. (laughs) I crushed it. And it goes and it flies and it flies and it hits the front of the green and it jumps up on the right side of the green and it rolls to the left and it's six feet from the pen. And I turn around like this to give him his club and he's in my arms. And we rolled around like a bunch of little kids on the fairway. And all of a sudden, I used his brains, he used my strength. We were one. We were one from that day on. We never argued again from that day on we saw the beauty in the creation of one another we saw the special gifts that each and every one of us had that the two of us created as two beings in one womb were special different kind of folks but together in that moment god used my strength god used his knowledge and we laid out almost a perfect golf ship. And we laid in that grass and we rolled and we held each other and we just hugged each other. All the years, the 30 years of frustration, the 30 years of not knowing who one another was, the 30 years of struggling to be the favored son, they all came out right there in that moment. And we got up from the grass and it was like we had been renewed, like we had been resurrected as twins. From that day forward, we loved each other dearly. Loved each other. Because what happened in that moment, we found out what was true. We found out what was lovely. We found out what was admirable, what was pure, what was holy among the both of us. And the peace of God settled on our relationship so that we could walk together in the days to come. Church, God's calling us to rejoice in the Lord always. When I turned around and he jumped in my arms, I haven't hugged my brother in years. And we were rejoicing in what God had done. Sure, it was a golf shot, but it was more than a golf shot. It was about us coming together. What if we, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, could find it in ourselves to rejoice with one another, to find out what's good in one another, to see what's true in one another, instead of cussing one another, instead of judging one another, instead of trying to have power over one another in the church. If we would just rejoice in one another, we would rejoice in the Lord and find the goodness in one another, we would find the peace of God and it would walk with us in every day of our life. And then Paul says this. If you'll think of these things, what's true, what's admirable, what's lovely, what's pure, what's noble, and you'll, here's the secret. Put them into practice. It was never awkward when my phone rang and it was his number. It was never awkward again. I didn't have to make a decision whether I was going to answer the phone or not. It was never awkward when we were together as family again. Because the peace of Christ had found us as twins. And let me tell you, from that day forward, we had some fun. We had some real fun, only fun, only twins can have. But this is how God works. That love was so sustained. He called me one day. And I picked up the phone and my brother laughed. He suffered from depression a little bit. But when I answered the phone, he said, hey, Bubba, how are you? And I said, I'm great. And And he laughed with all of his heart. I said, what the heck? He said, I'm getting married, and I want you to do the service. He had been divorced and met a new girl. I said, all right. But on Valentine's Day of that year, he had a stroke, cerebral artery stroke in the brain. And I went to see him in St. David's in Austin. And he's in the ICU unit. He's got a ventilator stuck down his throat. He's got all sorts of feed tubes and all other tubes coming out of him. And he's fighting for his life. And I come walking into the ICU unit. He can't speak. And he looks up and I look, he looks like this. I walk in, he's looking straight at the wall and I look at the TV and there's the U.S. Open. Tiger Woods is playing. And he has a pad that he writes messages to people on. Picks it up and he's a doctor, he's a dentist. And he picks it up and he writes in this sloppy handwriting, Hey Bubba, hey man. He said, first sentence out of his mouth." Do you remember that? Do you remember that shot? He writes it on the paper. Do you remember that shot? I said. Took his right hand and I held his right hand. And I said, "I'll never forget that shot." We as the church, we need to cherish our relationships with one another. And we need to find the goodness in one another. And we need to find those special moments that we can hang on to. And we can love one another forever through one special event in our lives. And that event is that we found Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. The shot that makes the difference in our lives is the shot that Paul was talking about to his church. Church, get yourself in line. Get your focus right. Remember the shot. Focus on what you're supposed to focus on, and the peace of God, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you always. Thirteen years ago, my brother succumbed to the effort to the effects of that stroke. He now resides in heaven, and God only knows what they're doing up there. but I'll never, ever forget the lesson I learned from him and what it means. To rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, rejoice in the Lord. Amen and amen.